God is faithful and he will respond when we call out to his name. Now, sometimes he doesn't answer the way we want, but we can trust that he is always working in our best interest. And praise the Lord for answered prayers as much as unanswered prayers. As we begin this morning, actually, I want to start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering. Lord, I pray that as we get ready to dig into your word, I pray that you would apply it to our hearts. I pray that you would help us to sense your presence. Lead us, speak to us, challenge us, change us by the power of your living word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to be, uh, begin this morning with a passage from Genesis chapter 15. I'll give you an introduction after we read the passage. Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, uh, should be on the screen behind me as well. Beginning in verse 12 says this, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. This is a passage that is, uh, in many ways, not all that appealing to me. Uh, There is a description here of some very difficult times, but there is also a description here of blessing. Um, I recently stopped by Jake's Wayback Burgers to grab what else? A burger. And while I was there, they weren't very busy, so right after I ordered, I sat down, and immediately afterwards, Deshaun Watson walked in. He is the quarterback for Clemson University, if you live under a rock and you did not know that. Um, he got his order to go, but he had to sit and wait. So we talked. I will tell you that it's pretty cool when you get to meet and speak with famous individuals. Now, some of you guys are South Carolina fans and you're thinking, boy, that was a horrible lunch. Actually, I really enjoyed being able to sit and talk with them. I wanted to take a picture of him uh, with him, but I decided not to. I thought it might be awkward. Uh, He probably gets that everywhere he goes, so I didn't uh, ask to do that. Anyways, he left, and I began to wonder to myself what it would be like to genuinely interact with famous people all the time. There are some people who get to do that. I know I'm a little bit of a dreamer at times, but that is where my mind went as soon as he left. And then I thought about this series that I was just beginning at that time. I've read the passages over and over again, and a central aspect of Abraham's journey is the fact that he regularly interacted with God. God told him to go. God told him where to stop. God told him that he would make him into a great nation. How cool would that be to simply be able to interact and have that conversation with God all the time? Well, here's the greatest part about it. You can. All of us have the privilege of interacting with God on a regular basis where God gets to tell us what he desires for us and he gets to share with us. Sometimes he shares through his word. Sometimes we're digging in scripture and we're thinking, God, I've never seen that before. 
that must have been intended just for me. Or maybe it's during a worship service where all of a sudden it's just so clear. It's as if the voice of the Lord were simply speaking to me and there was nobody else here that mattered at that moment because God was speaking to me. I will tell you that I was, uh, I was a student at Southern Wesleyan University and I was there to be an accountant. And one morning I woke up and I simply knew that God was calling me to be a pastor. I didn't hear some loud booming voice. I didn't see a burning bush. It wasn't as if someone else came and said, Mike, you're going to be a pastor one day. But it was so clear that God spoke to me. I didn't have a dream. It was just God telling me this is what you're going to do. I love the fact that God speaks in so many different ways. For Abraham, it seems as if God would actually meet with him and tell him, this is what I have for you and this is what you must do. Well, related to, related to this, our passage leads us to one of the most beautiful yet terrifying images throughout Scripture. We're told that as Abram fell asleep, and sometimes I'll refer to him as Abram, sometimes Abraham, because eventually his name's changed. Just don't correct me. It's the same guy. We're told that Abram falls asleep, and he is overcome by a thick and dreadful darkness. The first assumption here is that he is overcome with perhaps doubt regarding his own judgment, perhaps fear over what might be next. And you think about it, there were, there were a lot of question marks in his life at this point. Maybe there was even some regret, wondering if perhaps he had made some sort of mistake by leaving home, the comforts and the pleasures of having family close by. Certainly we've all sensed these moments of great darkness in our lives. I know that at times I've wondered why God would allow me to do the things that I get to do. I see others who are far more gifted and I wonder if perhaps God made a mistake or maybe I look at the circumstances around me and I wonder if I really have what it takes to be successful in whatever it is that I'm doing at the time. Let me begin by stating that this is a great place to be. Not because I enjoy incompetence. It's not that I enjoy the fact that I'm not as good as other people. But when I begin to recognize my own weaknesses, I become more dependent on his strength. Often it's when we recognize that we don't have what it takes that we are more likely to lean upon him and say, God, I need you to intervene. I need you to do the work in me. And of course, this leads us to another way of understanding this statement of the thick and dreadful darkness. Perhaps there was no regret or doubt at all, so much as it was a sense of awareness that he was in the presence of the Lord. Perhaps it was more like Isaiah when he saw a vision and he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And Isaiah cries out, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah was honored to be in the presence of the Lord, yet he was also fearful. And when I say fearful, it wasn't like he was about to be struck down and he was just afraid of God so much as he realized what a great honor it was. He was filled with such respect to be in the presence of a holy God, knowing that he himself had been less than holy. So here he was struck with a sense of fear. 
Or perhaps he was like Moses, who stood before the burning bush, knowing that he was a sinful man, that he had actually even committed murder earlier in his life, almost ashamed to be in the presence of this holy God. Perhaps the term dreadful has more to do with a holy type of fear and respect and awe for God. What a blessing it is to us that God does invite us into his presence, even though at times it may strike us with just a little touch of fear. Maybe we look and we think, I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. I will confirm to you, you are right. We do not deserve to be in the presence of God. Yet by the grace of Jesus Christ, he invites us into that presence. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, every one of us can come boldly before the throne of God and we have the privilege of now interacting with him. It's what he desires for us. For Abram, this would be the place where God's roadmap would be laid out. Remember that when he started this journey, God simply told him, go to the place where I will show you. Can you be more vague? Just go. But here we see a glimpse of what it's going to take in order for God's promise of blessing to be fulfilled. Now I have to confess that I'm not too convinced that God's message to Abraham would have seemed all that comforting to him. I think in some ways he probably thought, Lord, I liked it when all you told me was to go. I don't need to know all of the details. He starts by talking about his children, his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. He prophesies that for 400 years, his descendants will suffer and be enslaved in a country that's not their own. And as Abraham listens, you can't help but wonder if he didn't think to himself, it's not what I bargained for. I trusted you. I left everything to follow you. And now you're telling me that my descendants are going to be enslaved for centuries? This stinks. Well, if he thought that way, he never let on. You almost have to wonder how Abraham could be so willing to accept this long and difficult road that God had planned for him. There are a couple possible reasons for why he was so willing to accept this path. And these are perhaps the most important things that I will share this morning. So pay close attention to this. First, it's possible that Abraham simply trusted God regardless of how difficult the path might be. Perhaps he wasn't concerned about ease and comfort as much as he was concerned about having the presence of the Lord with him, wherever he went. Remember, he starts off close to family and he had blessing, but God was calling him to go. And if he were going to continue to experience the presence of God and the blessing of God, he could not stay where he was. It was time for him to go. And he simply had to trust that God was the one who was leading, regardless of how difficult the road might be. I remember we had a family that was loosely connected to our church in Pennsylvania. They had a young teenage daughter who was diagnosed with cancer, and that family found incredible intimacy with God during that time. God was real to them. He showed up 
they felt his spirit's presence in hospital rooms and doctor visits as they went through treatment, as the doctors shared different diagnoses. I remember when the doctor came in and told them that they could do no more. The mother and the father immediately began to weep and to mourn. And other family members then noted the response of the young girl. She said, I cannot possibly accept the idea that God has somehow lost control of this situation. That girl would become a living testimony of the presence of God in the midst of difficult roads. I wish I could tell you that she is alive today, but eventually the cancer took her life. But regardless of how difficult the road would be for her and for her family, the Lord's presence was incredibly real during that time. There will be times that you will be called to walk on very dark roads. And there may be times that you wish you could just go back to the way things were before. I wonder, did Abraham think to himself, if I could only go back to Haran, then my family wouldn't have to walk this long, dark, difficult road. And the only thing that I can tell you is that even if the road is long and difficult, if God's presence is there, it's going to be okay. God has promised that his blessing will be there and he will provide. The other possibility of why Abraham likely didn't question the long difficult road which God was describing has to do with God's promise. Perhaps he remembered God's word that he would make him into a great nation. That God would bless those who blessed him and would curse those who cursed him. That his descendants would become a blessing to all the nations. And that those descendants would be like the stars of the sky, too many to count. I mean, think about it. Immediately, he follows up the idea of a long, difficult road with the image of a great deliverance. You know, in the New Testament, we read a familiar story about Jesus walking on water. His disciples had gone ahead of him, and he tells them, I will catch up. And he sends them out on a boat to cross over a lake. I don't know what they were thinking, how Jesus was supposed to catch up to them, but he, leave, he basically goes and he prays, and they leave ahead of time. In the middle of the night, Jesus comes to them while they are still out on the lake. Immediately, they assume there's a ghost, which I find really ironic because Jesus was always defying the laws of nature, yet their first thought is something else that's kooky and crazy. Here, Jesus is coming to them on the water, and they think it's a ghost. Suddenly, they realize this must be Jesus. And Peter calls out to the Lord. He says, if it's really you and you want me to come to you, call me and I will come. And the Lord calls to Peter, and Peter gets down out of the boat to walk to Jesus. I will tell you that as exciting as that story is, Peter doesn't make it all the way to Jesus before he begins to sink. It seems as though somewhere along the way, he began to notice the wind and the waves all around him. The water looked rough and he began to think logically that, hey, I'm walking on water and this is not supposed to happen. And he begins to sink. What he really wants is he wants back in the boat. 
It was a really cool idea, and I thought this was really going to be fun, but I think I felt safer in the boat. Jesus reaches out and pulls him up out of the water, and together they climb back into the boat. As with any blessing, sometimes we have to struggle in order to achieve that blessing. In this situation, in this struggle, just as Peter found the Lord reaching out to pick him up, often we find the Lord's presence most clear during those really difficult times. By the way, before you ridicule Peter for his lack of faith, consider that all of the other disciples stayed in the boat. Not a single other one said, Lord, I'll come to you too. Why would we let Peter do this just by himself? I even wondered in my arrogance, I might would have tried to jump out. And you know what? If Peter can do it, I'll do it too. And I'd have probably just sank because I didn't ask for permission. But the point is, Peter was willing. He had a trust. He had something he could brag about later. He may not have walked for long, but he walked on water. Peter experienced a great blessing that night. But he also experienced difficulty. So why would the promise take 400 years? Back to the story of Abraham. It would seem that God could have made everything fall into place right now. Why not let Abraham watch his children and his grandchildren receive the blessing of the promised land? One might say because he was old and he couldn't have watched his grandchildren anyways. That's possibly true. Often we don't have a clear answer as to why God says to wait. But in this case, we do know why. God's timing is always perfect. Consider Abraham's case. Verse 16 suggests that the sin of the Amorites had not yet reached its fullness. In other words, there is coming a time that they will be punished for their sin, but not yet. I almost picture God offering the Amorites the opportunity at redemption over and over again, much like he did for the people of Nineveh when he sent Jonah to an ungodly nation and offered them the chance for redemption. Yet God already knows how this is going to turn out. The Amorites will become one of the most ungodly people groups to have ever existed, going so far as to sacrifice their own children to a false god. And when such things happen, God's punishment must occur. But likewise, it wasn't just about the Amorites and their sin. It was also about the Israelites and their sin. The difference is that they find themselves on two different paths. You have the Amorites who seem intent on moving as far away from the one true living God as possible. They have no desire to serve a God of redemption and grace, but rather they serve a God of death. Then you have the Israelites, who they are becoming more and more like God. Will they have to walk through difficult times? Will they have to experience a cleansing as much as anybody else would? Yes, they absolutely would. But they are on a journey where they will discover the beauty of God. But in order to get there, they need to grow up. For them, it will become a story of betrayal, of deceit, of murder, famine, bondage. And only when they realize exactly how broken they are, will they begin to cry out to the Lord and he will answer. In that moment, 
in God's perfect timing, they will once again discover the presence of a holy God who is ready to deliver them from their bondage. Well, it's in God's presence that the people of God experience God's blessing. I don't know what stage you are in your journey today. Some of you have already been through that period of brokenness and you have already called out to the Lord and he has answered your prayer. He has offered you redemption. And because of that today, you can can be a testimony to others to the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. Others perhaps are still on that journey where Maybe you're still in the midst of your sin and you think that it's okay. Maybe for you, you're just reaching that point where you're starting to realize, man, I I am broken and I need the Lord's help. What I would suggest to you today is that when you invite the presence of the Lord into your life, you will experience blessing like you never have before. That does not mean you will become the wealthiest person in the world. It does not mean that you will be successful at your trade, whatever your trade is. But I will tell you, when the presence of the Lord is clear in your life, it changes everything else about you. The best position for us to be is in the presence of a holy God. Regardless of where you are today, I know where God wants you to be with him. And he wants to be with you. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for reaching into our lives, even in our brokenness. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to truly lean upon you. Lord, as we come before you, we recognize that some of us are still very broken individuals and we need your healing. Lord, I pray that you would Help us to simply experience your presence now. You tell us that if we confess our sins, you will forgive. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to let go of the sin that has weighed us down. Set us free so that we might have the eternal life that you have promised. Lord, give us your presence Fill us with your spirit so that everywhere we go, everything that we do, we would sense your presence working in us. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to simply be individuals who are surrendered to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26, the Apostle Paul records a description of the Lord's Supper. It says this, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We've been talking about the privilege we have to experience the presence of the Lord. Well, the Lord's table is like a great bridge spanning the entire interval of church's history on earth. 
one end of it rests on the shame of the cross 2,000 years ago. The other is planted in the glory of the kingdom. This feast sustains a threefold relationship to the Christian. First of all, know this as we are about to participate in the Lord's Supper. This ought to serve as a reminder to us of the salvation and the justification that God has given us. He gave us the opportunity to be in a right relationship with him. We've been talking about being able to uh, be in his presence. It's his sacrifice that makes that possible. This is also the source in many ways for us of our present sustenance in this life. In other words, as children of God, the spirit of God now dwells within us. This is a reminder of what he has done and the fact that he is here with us now. The presence of God is not something that was offered only 2,000 years ago and then again later on at the judgment of God, but rather the presence of God is here with us now. It's the Spirit's presence. It is also the pledge of our future glory in heaven with him. This is the promise that God has offered to us. Everything about today is about the presence of the Lord, including this act of communion. Some people say, well, why don't we do communion all the time? Why don't we do the Lord's Supper every Sunday? And the only thing I can tell you is that there are times that it becomes nothing more than a ritual. I don't want that to be the case today. As we partake of the Lord's Supper in just a moment, I want to challenge you to truly allow this to be a time to celebrate the Lord's presence. What he did on the cross gives this value. If not, it's just bread and it's just juice. There's nothing spiritual about bread or juice except that it reminds us of the sacrifice that took place 2,000 years ago. Let this be a reminder of the Spirit's presence, not just here in this service, but in your heart, in my heart. Let this be a a reminder of what is to come. The presence of the Lord here, this is a pale comparison to what it will be like to be in the presence of the Lord all the time. We're going to pray. I told you these are just ordinary elements. It's just bread and juice, but they represent something that's of great value. As I pray for these elements, I have uh, six individuals who are going to come and they're going to help us serve the Lord's Supper this morning. And as they come forward, they will set up and you can come to each of the stations, whichever one you would like to be served. Allow this to not be a ritual, but a reflection on the Lord's presence in your life. His sacrifice, his current presence through his spirit, and the one day when he will return and take us to be with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for these elements. Thank you for what they represent. We know that it's not about bread and it's not about juice. It's about a body that was broken and blood that was shed so that our sins might be forgiven. But I pray today that these elements would take on new meaning, that this would be more than a ritual celebrating something that happened in the past, but realizing that this applies to what happens today. For we are new creations in you because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And we look forward to a great reunion, a coming day when you will come back and welcome your children to be with you. Lord, we see within these elements an opportunity to truly experience your intimacy. Thank you for what this bread 
and this juice means. Lord, I pray that you would take these elements today and that you would allow them to remind us of who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll ask if those who are serving would come forward and we will participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. If you would, come and receive the Lord's Supper this morning. As Jesus met with his disciples on that last night, he shared with them about a time of betrayal and brokenness which would occur in the days that would follow. He talked about how each of them would turn their back on him and that he would have to suffer and be sacrificed. Without the shedding of Jesus' blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He knew this was a necessary sacrifice but it was his sacrifice that now gives us hope and peace. And today we celebrate that. This is not a time of mourning. This is a time of celebration. I praise the Lord today that he willingly gave up his body and his blood so that we might have eternal life. He said, this bread represents my body that is broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember my body broken. He took wine. In our case, we're using grape juice. He said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He said, every time you drink this, remember my blood was shed for you. Let's pray once more. Father, we come before you. And we simply thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for the body. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the life that each of us now has because of that sacrifice. Help us to live every moment of every day in celebration of that, and we will give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would, if you'd leave the cups in the pews, we'll take care of that afterwards. Thank you so much for being with us this morning, and go in peace.